everybody. This is David Perkins. You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. Join us this summer for the Desperation Conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, July 9th through 11th. For more information and resources, go to desperationonline.com. Well, we are in this series, Heartbeat of Heaven, and we're talking about loving people into the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, taking the good news of Jesus to people. And so tonight, I want to talk on the idea of love till it hurts. Love till it hurts. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to seek you tonight, to worship, to pray. Thank you for that time of intercession where we were praying, Lord, for people in our schools. God, we ask that you would help each one of us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We ask, Lord, that we would truly be your disciples. May it not be merely an idea. May it not be a category of our lives. May it consume us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 I want you to think about somebody in your school. I want you to think specifically of friends, people that you know that you've got a hard time with. I mean, someone that might, there, there might be a little bit of tension. And I want you to think of somebody that might be kind of uncool. Now, I know that that's mean to say and all that. But in your head, somebody that's like kind of rejected at your school. Then once you can think of somebody that maybe you have tension with, maybe someone who doesn't have a lot of friends, once you've got someone like that in your head, just stand your feet. You can think of somebody like that. All right, just stand your feet. Okay? Okay. So... If you look around, this embodies the fact that almost everybody in the room can think of somebody that they have tension with or somebody that they know that is perceived as kind of a loner or somebody that doesn't have many friends. You can have a seat and give yourself a hand for standing up, for using your own brain. Good job. Well done. Where we're going to go tonight is we're going to go into a time where we are going to pray for those specific people. Does that make sense? All right, where we're going tonight is we're going to talk about you and I loving those people and praying for those people. A number of years ago, I went to Mexico. Uh, anybody been to Mexico? I, uh, flew into, I flew into Tampico, Mexico, and uh, I went with some of my friends, and we were going from village to village, and we were, ta- we're, we're going and talking to people about Jesus. And when we would go into the village, oftentimes they would prepare a meal for us, they knew ahead of time that we were coming. The missionary that we were working with had set it up so that the people in the village knew that we were going to come on that day. And so we would spend time hiking. It was June. It was super hot in the mountains of Mexico. And we'd hike in. I mean, I was drenched in sweat. And we'd walk into these, these, uh, little, these little mountain villages. And what would happen is a, a part of their custom, their tradition, is they would offer you a meal. We never went into a village where they didn't offer us a meal. And so we would go to probably four or five villages a day. And in every single village, they would offer you a meal, which sounds really cool if you are are, are here in America and they're offering you Chipotle and potentially, you know, chilies. But this was different. They would offer us this food that was killing me. I mean, it was so, it was so, it was so hard for me to eat it because I'm like you, kind of a spoiled American. And we were eating this food that was just uh, just really, really, really difficult to eat. So we got to about the last village, like the fourth or fifth village. I can't remember exactly. And uh, it started to rain, but it didn't feel refreshing rain because it was so hot. And, and it, was, it was like a hot rain. It was, I mean, I was sweating. It was raining. I was soaked. And we got into this last village and uh, 
And we went around to eat this last meal, and, and we, I knew it was going to be the last one of the day, but I was already so full. I had already, it was, I was like sunburnt, and, and, I, and they, they offered us this, this plate of food. And I'm sitting there trying, you know that gag moment where you're just like, you know, trying not to throw up? I was, the, the truth is I was in that moment where I was trying, trying to keep it down, and I just, I just kind of started to just like kind of push it aside a little bit, and I was determined to try to eat it, and so... I, I, I'm starting to push it aside, and the missionary looks at me, and he says to me, eat it. And, you know, he kind of whispers it. And I just kind of looked at him like a, a man in pain. I just went, oh. And he looks, looks down at me, and he goes, I said, eat it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm just in pain. And then he made this phrase. He looks at me, and he says, how much do you love Jesus? And I'm thinking to myself, what does eating this food and loving Jesus have to do with each other? Like, this is a painful moment. There's that very phrase, how much you love Jesus. And I'm like, no. This is my, this is martyrdom for me. This is the cross that I have to bear, right? I got to eat this food in Mexico. Later, I asked him, I said, what was, because it was real, it was like fried. It was like real chewy. And so I'd like chew on it for a long time and you know, get it stuck in my teeth and chew some more. And, and uh, I said, what was that? And he said, the missionary said, you were eating fried armadillo. And I was like, awesome. Uh, you know. <laughs> His whole point, though, is that here you have these people and they put out their best. They put out what they had for us. And the way that we demonstrated that love to them was to do something extremely uncomfortable for we Americans. And that was to eat what they had given us, especially when you had gone meal after meal all day long. And it was uncomfortable. It was a form of sacrifice. It wasn't easy. Well, it, was, it was for me, especially, it was uh, rather difficult. For you and for me, as you look at what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus, for you to love people, it's going to require sacrifice. In other words, Jesus said, if you love the people that love you, what good is that? Do not the Pharisees even do that? Jesus has invited us to love like he loves. And that is not just kind of a beautiful, kind of theoretical, kind of nice idea. I want you to think specifically about the people that you know, people that are in your life, that you can represent Jesus to by loving people that are hard to love. A moment ago, almost every single one of you stood when I had you try to think of someone. Most of the time we want to just love the people. Be friends with the people that are nice to us. Be kind to the people that are kind to us. The challenge is, is to actually step out of your comfort zone. And be so intentional about loving people. That you love unlovable people. Or people that are hard to love. Or I'll just say it. People at your school that maybe other people don't think are cool. Maybe that other people think are just are, are, are the, kind of the kids that are rejected. And I want you to think about how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to the most broken kid at your school. I want you to think, even just kind of run movies in your mind, what would it look like? Now, I know the temptation is to live for your reputation. The temptation is to live for what will people think of me? How will people reject me? Will people think I'm Okay. But I, I imagine if you and I start to love people so much 
that it actually costs us something. I'm not talking about just like, hey, I'm going to be friends with so-and-so, and they don't have many friends, so I'm going to be their friend, then I'm going to feel good, they're going to feel good, then I got a friend too. I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about using the life of Jesus as our example, where he intentionally loved people in a way that was costly. And you and I embracing opportunities to be intentional about loving people when it's socially awkward, when it disrupts our comfort zone, when it seems like other people might think less of us because for some reason they view that person on a low status, you on a high status, and for you to become their friend would put you at a low status. But the reality is is that Jesus became the servant of all. He became the least. His example is becoming the most broken. The scripture talks about how he was God and he became a man for you and for me. He became low. He wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a stable. He went to the lowest of the low. And then when you look at the life of Jesus, you see him constantly going to the outsiders and making them insiders. Our temptation is to always want to so be an insider that we will only connect with, talk to other insiders. But imagine you, picture in your mind, intentionally looking for the outsiders. Who are the outsiders at your school that you can be intentional about and go, I am going to intentionally, cognitively, prayerfully take time to reach out to those people that are the unlovable, that other people don't love. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. If you can love to where it costs you something, to where it hurts you a little bit. As we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus lived this. I find it interesting in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus knows full well that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus has loved Judas Jesus has called Judas. Jesus has even entrusted Judas. Judas was the treasurer. Judas was the one who took care of the money. Jesus had said, all right, I'm going to set up my kingdom. And there were 12 tribes in Israel. And Jesus said, I'm building a new Israel. And so I'll take 12 disciples and I'm ushering in a new kingdom. And I'm going to pick 12 people. And so that means he's picking 12 people that he really trusts. People that he really is going to pour his life into. People that he's going to love. And one of those betray him. Not just betray him like said something mean. We're talking about a betrayal that would cost him his life. We're talking about a betrayal that would cause him to go to the cross, to be whipped and beaten. You would think that Jesus would turn to Judas and be angry. That Jesus would possess some kind of wrath toward Judas. But I want you to see Jesus in Matthew 26, 50. Jesus calls Judas knowing full well that he's, he's already betrayed him. Judas comes in with Roman guards to arrest Jesus. And Jesus calls him friend. I just find that stunning. I find it stunning that anybody would be able to look at their betrayer and call them friend. If you look at the way Jesus responds, even on the cross, there he is. You know the story. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. And he's being crucified on the cross. And there you have Jesus looking out at the very people who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The very people that had whipped him and put him on a cross. And Jesus looks to his father and he says, Father, 
destroy these suckers, right? I got you. No. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see it? Jesus has compassion. Jesus responds with kindness, with love. One more, when you look at Peter, Peter denies Jesus three times. I mean, Peter was Jesus' number one guy. And he denies that he even knows Jesus three times. And Jesus' response in John 21 to Peter is not wrath and anger, but it's acceptance, it's love. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he gives him an assignment. Go do what I had called you to do originally. I told you that you're a rock and on this rock I was going to build my church. Now, Peter, go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Jesus reinstates Peter. You see, all of these different biblical examples of Jesus demonstrating love and kindness to those people that rejected him. But not just people that rejected him, but also to the outskirts. Jesus goes to the leper, the untouchable. I mean, the one that people would reject because if you touched a leper, you would get leprosy and you would die. And so people with leprosy were pushed to the outskirts. They were outsiders. And Jesus goes to the leper and he heals him. Jesus goes to the, the, the woman with the issue of blood who is unclean. And other people say, stay far away. And Jesus goes, and you know the story. Jesus heals her. Jesus goes to the blind men, the blind men who were low and poor. And Jesus goes to the blind men and heals Jesus goes to the tax collector, Zacchaeus, the one that all the Jews didn't like because he would come in and he would represent the Romans, but he would tax his own people. He was perceived as, as, as one who had betrayed his very people. And Jesus went and he loved, went to the house of Zacchaeus. Jesus went to over and over and over again. We see him partying with people that were considered Socially unacceptable because they had rejected God. And Jesus goes to them. He goes over and over again to the outsider. And because he is, the, ultimately he knows who he is. He's confident in who he is. Associating with people of low position does not rattle him. It's what he came to do. There is no status. Imagine if you saw through lenses people And there was no status. What if you saw like Jesus saw? What if we saw like Jesus saw? What if we started to to try to be kingdom people where we didn't look and measure if we're going to befriend them or not based upon how cool they are or not or how rejected they are, how awesome they are, how much they'll love me back if they've rejected me before. Jesus went to all the outsiders and he accepted. Jesus went to the very people that had betrayed him and he accepted. You have no license. You have no logic, no reason to say, I reject this person. If we're going to be true Christ followers, we take every opportunity to look at people and say, I will love you. I will accept you no matter their status, no matter what they've done to you. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? And so we have Jesus setting the ultimate example. Jesus says to us in John 15, 12, he says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. If you think about this, this is a strong statement. All those things I just talked about. And Jesus says, if you want to know how to love, do what I've been doing. Love 
as I have loved. I am your example. If you, know, if you want to know what it looks like to love people and to be kind to people and to be an expression of Jesus to people, look at how Jesus acted. And that's your example. Look at the way that he loved. He said in Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? This is really where most of us live. We will accept people once they accept us. We will love, and this is often how cliques are formed. This is often how, especially in youth culture, one of the, you know, one of the big things that we talk about is cliques, and I don't want to be a part of, I don't want to be in a clique, or, I, or I'm kind of in a clique. All that cliques are is this insecurity that says, I'll accept you if you'll accept me. And it's actually the opposite of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, what good is it if you love people that just love you? The opportunity to be Christ-like is to say, a clique won't define me. I'm not going to just accept people that accept me. No, I'm going to accept all. I'm going to go to the outsider, and I'm going to be intentional about loving the outsider. And in so doing, you demonstrate what it looks like to be like Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot is a famous author, but her husband, Jim Elliot, they got married, went to Wheaton in Chicago, Christian school in Chicago, and they had the vision of being missionaries to reach uh, this little tribe in Ecuador. And this, this tribe was known for being violent. And so Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot, they decided to get married and try to reach these people. Jim Elliot could be successful in just about anything. And instead of doing all the things he could have done, he chose to give his life to reach this violent tribe in Ecuador. And Jim went down with some of his friends and before, before they could even establish the work there, that tribe that Jim had been studying, praying for, hoping to reach with the gospel, murdered him. They killed him. And the story is pretty incredible because then Elizabeth Elliot, who clearly could have said, I'm going to reject those people. I, they, they killed my husband. She actually gave her life then to continue the continuation of what Jim started. And she went down. And she and the, and the wives of the men who were murdered went down and they reached this tribe in Ecuador. What, what, what causes someone to live a life like that? It's just loving the unlovable. It's Jesus inside of them. It's not logical. Our, our brain says, live for me. Only love people that love me. But what we see in their example are people that said, I'm going to be intentional about loving people, even if they don't love me back, even if they've hurt me, even if they've betrayed me. As you imagine people that you know, maybe in your school, maybe on a sports team, you know people, you can think of people that are the outsiders. You can probably think of people that are not even close to being insiders. I want you to imagine what it looks like for you to begin to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those outsiders. I want you to picture the people that have already rejected you. And that even when I say, can you picture anybody that you have tension with? You have that person's face come to mind. And imagine what it looks like in a tangible way for you to demonstrate kindness. For you to do something that is mind-blowing in loving them. In being intentional about loving them and taking care of them and doing, or doing something nice for them. I want you to imagine what that looks like. When I was, um, when I was in high school, I had a friend, and I, won't, I want to tell you this story about him. I'm not going to use his real name. We'll, let's call him Tim. All right? That's not his real name. And, but there was, uh, he, was, he was a godly guy. He was, today, he's a doctor, 
Uh, he's very successful. Um, just he's very, very brilliant. And he was, he was clearly someone who the Lord had captured his heart as a junior high student. He was a worship leader and uh, just phenomenal. Kind of radiated the life of Christ when you're around him, you know. Cool guy, great guy, very, very, very uh, in with the cool crowd, big high school. And uh, there was a- another guy, and I'll call, I'll call him John. John was, John was like probably the, the most rejected kid in school. John had a mental disability, um, but he still was a part of the, this public high school. And he would, he, because of that, he had different reasons why uh, he would spit on people when he talked. And he had, uh, he just, just very unattractive. He didn't dress well. He didn't look cool. He didn't know what fashion was. Often he didn't smell good. And because of that, he was often made fun of. People would reject him. And he was, he was the butt of many jokes. People would tease him. And, and uh, m- my friend, Tim, started to notice that he would sit alone, that John would sit alone in, in, in the cafeteria every day. So you had all the kids, you know, tables that typically would seat six to eight people. And mostly those tables would fill up with people. But this kid, John, would sit by himself every day. And so, so my friend Tim, this, this kid, 16 years old, normal kid. And he decided, just baby step, that he was going to go and he was going to sit with John. And he left his school friends. And he was um, like the president of Honor Society. He was... He was very, he, he just, he, he, was, he was in with not just the, the intelligent kids, but he was in with the athletes. He was in with all of them. He, and later on, he was, you know, voted. He was one of the more popular kids in school. But he decided to go and sit with John. The first time he did it, you know, kids would kind of tease him about it and kind of make fun of him about it. And then he did it the next day. He did it the next day. And he started to do it every day. Well, it wasn't long before this kid, John, thought that Tim was the greatest thing on earth. And so he would talk about him all the time. My friend Tim would always try to just kind of try to calm him down. Like, okay, stop telling everybody how wonderful I am. He called him his best friend. And then he'd, 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 he'd see him in the hallway and come and give him a big hug. And, and, he, and he'd call him and he'd tell everybody, we're best friends, we're best friends. Of course, he had a little bit of a deformed face. He slobbered a little bit when he talked. And... And he would tell everybody, John, he would say, Tim, John would say of Tim, this is my best friend. This is my best friend. Well, it wasn't too long before John asked Tim if he could go to church with him. And Tim went to my youth group and he started bringing this kid. And we weren't a big youth group like this. We were just a little youth group of probably 30, 30 kids. And, and, and the, there was this certain stigma, this certain dynamic when Tim started bringing this this socially unacceptable person. You know, you're kind of like, what, what, what is this? But before too long, this, this kid, John, he became a part of our youth group and he started to develop friendships. And it wasn't too long before he gave his life to Jesus. And I remember the day that he gave his life to Jesus and we all kind of cheered him on and made a big deal and prayed with him and he just began to talk about how much he loved Jesus. And then in, in our youth group, he started to raise his hands and worship. And he started to come to everything that our youth group did. 
He was there all the time. And I watched as this kid's face that was not the most attractive face, not the most attractive apparel, not not the coolest kid, but his whole demeanor just began to radiate because one kid loved him. Because one kid, Tim. Tim's a successful guy today. He's been successful his whole life. But he reached out to literally the most broken kid in his high school. A year after we graduated from high school, John was in a car accident and died. And, uh, of course, Tim was all sad. And at the funeral, parents talked about what a difference Tim had made in his life. And talked about him giving his life to Christ because of Tim. Here's, what it, here's how it started. Tim chose to go sit with him in the lunchroom cafeteria and just start that awkward moment of doing stepping out of what's comfortable and doing what's uncomfortable for the sake of loving another for the sake of demonstrating Christ to someone as you picture in your head your school your friends one of the ways that we will see people come to know Jesus is when we have a love for them that doesn't make sense to the world. Where it's not just, you accept me, I'll accept you. But instead it's, I'm going to go love the broken. Those on the outskirts. Oftentimes we think when we think about wanting to bring kids to church or tell kids about Jesus, we think we want to tell the coolest. What would happen if here at DSM we just started to bring all of the Johns that are the most broken in our schools? What would happen if we just decided we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to reach out to our present day lepers, blind, broken. My prayer for you and for me is that we would live that. Easy to preach, hard to live. But it's so vital. That is the heartbeat of heaven. That you and I would go to the highways, byways, hallways, cafeterias, on our school campuses, on the soccer fields, on the football fields, in the bleachers, and be intentional. Find them. I want to challenge you tonight. Find them. Find the John. Find the Johns in your school that are broken. Find the ones that need someone to love them. And instead of spending time saying to all the popular kids, see me, notice me, don't you want to like me? Come on, accept me. I want to be on the team. I want to be cool. You go be the love of Christ to the broken and that will transform a life. I want to take just a moment. I just want us to pray for the kids in our schools that we can think of that are the outcasts, that are the outsiders. I'd like to invite you to stand I'd like to invite the band to come on up. We're going to take a few moments. And I want this to be very serious. I, I don't, but it, I, I, want, I want to do a, an altar call response time. But I don't want to do it like how we normally do it. Oftentimes what we do is we say, okay, I'm sensing something. I'm feeling something. 
And so I want to respond on my behalf. All right? But I'd like us tonight to respond on behalf of somebody else. I don't want you to come forward because you feel anything. I don't want you to come forward because you're thinking of you. I want to invite you to come forward when you have someone, one person, one person in your mind that you think of, I want to love that person. It might be a friend. It could be one of your siblings. It could be your mom or your dad. It could be somebody that's rejected you. It could, be the, the, it could be a socially awkward person at your school. It could be a socially awkward person that you know from a sports team or somewhere else. But I, it, could be, it could be an enemy. It could be somebody that you have tension with. Somebody that's hurt you. Someone that when you think of them, you feel pain. But I want you to picture that person. And tonight, this prayer moment is going to be praying for that person. All right? I want you to think about that. Think about that person. When you've got that person, you've got that person in your mind, I just want you to raise your hand where you're at. Just raise your hand. You've got someone in your mind. Father, we want to be like you. And God, we lift up each one of these individuals, each one of these people that you've called us to love that it's hard to love. We pray for divine strength in Jesus' name. God, our tendency is to live for ourselves and our tendency is to reject those who reject us. But we want to love those who reject us. We want to love those who have hurt us. So Father, in Jesus' name, We pray for your strength. Holy Spirit, would you come? Enable us. Help us to do something that it takes. The Holy Spirit, it takes the love of God in our own flesh. We'll never do it. But by your strength and in your power, God, we want to love people. We want to love like you love. We ask that you would forgive us for living mostly for ourselves being rude to those who are rude to us and rejecting those who reject us. Do a fresh work in our hearts, God. 